All right. Okay, you're all invited to the Memorial Day picnic at uh, at Calvary Chapel Fargo. It's actually hosted at Island Park in Fargo on Monday. That's it? Just wanted a drink? I hope so. All right. On Monday, my birthday, April, on April, May 30th. It's, it's my birthday. We're covering up the birthday party with a Memorial Day picnic. So this is all you'll hear about it. There will be nothing said about it that day. Okay? Got it? So Monday, May 30th, 11 a.m. we start, and uh, there will be hamburgers and hot dogs. If you are so willing and desirous to come down to Fargo and be a part of that, that's provided. Bring a dish to share. All the paper goods will be there. And let's see, if you whatever you want to drink and or eat to share that goes along with hamburgers and hot dogs, uh, we will be grilling uh, by 11 a.m. We competing today, Isaac? You want to come up here? Did I have him up here last time? Not during the May. I knew better. We'd have a revolt. I think I gave him back when he had a stinky diaper. Right, I did. He'll never remember these things. We all, we, you will. Ah, when he gets older, he didn't. Right. So, <laughs> wow. All right. Find your way in your Bibles to the, the book of Acts. We better get started. Page 1,414, Abby. Hear all the 14s in there? 14, 14. You're 1407? Hmm. Must be the NASB. Uh-huh. Yeah, I... You must have a small print. You must be young. Hmm. All right. 1414? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. Thank you for the history and the record, uh, what you gave in the book of Acts, for us to know the certainty of the of the working of your Holy Spirit, continuing the works of Jesus through your church. Lord, we glorify you, honor you as we study tonight. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach, instruct. Uh, we would come through... Uh, We'd come through the study with an understanding, a greater, a greater understanding of you and a love for you uh, in our day for the things that you desire us to live out, that uh, the history uh, would reveal unto us your will, your desire for your church. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 4, let's read. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now, chapter 4 
is the continuation of the lame man being healed. Remember the the man who was lame by the the gate beautiful, that's the eastern gate, and at that place where Peter and John had gone up to the temple to pray. Uh, And to bring this to where we were at last week as we looked at the type of people, right, the the type of men in that case with Peter and John that God used, men of prayer, men of faith, right, men filled with the Holy Spirit, men who really, we describe it this way, no fear of man. Uh, They had come to the decision of carrying the cross and really no selfish ambition, that God would work such a wonderful miracle through Peter and John that, that really unto no glory for themselves, but what, what revealed was this glory that came upon them, and they preached the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And we get it into chapter 4, how it is that we've gone from about 3,000 souls that were saved on the day of Pentecost to now, it says 5,000, uh, the number of the men was about 5,000. So remember when Jesus fed, when he fed with the, the bread and the fishes, the, the number count was 5,000 men. And I believe this here describes much in the same way a similar count. So men and women, as we would understand, there's more than 5,000 people now in the beginning of the church. And you'll notice that as we come to this, this, this working of the Spirit of God, and there's immediate opposition. Now, I think the church, again, just in my opinion, we need to understand the history that the church was not birthed in times where where everything was just right. Like, you know, we would go out, and, and really what happens today now is not so much the interest of going out to preach Christ or obedience to the Holy Spirit, but rather gathering from the population, gathering people to come to a place week by week, and that's really... And yes, the church still numbers people and makes that, that, and really when it comes down to it, I heard a man a while back really exhorting, really exhorting us Calvary Chapel pastors gone to a conference and saw, he, he was there in the beginning way back in the 70s with Calvary Chapel and he really exhorted them and said, numbers do matter. And we're like, what is he talking about? Because we don't talk like that within our group and and he says, numbers matter in the kingdom of God. Really just in, exhorting and encouraging everybody to go out, not to, not to have the shifting of the saints, but to really go out and reach people for Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel. Now, in, in the opposition, you had the two main religious sects that were a part of Judaism. And you'll notice that it's the, in verse 1, it's the Sadducees. Now, when Jesus is preaching, and in the days that he is in 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 Jerusalem, and he and he's there, and it's the Pharisees that he's saying unto them, "You woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites." The Sadducees only question Jesus a couple times, but now, as the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, this miracle that has been done, and we find out that it's the Sadducees and the chief priests. It, it's worthy of note to understand that it was primarily the the chief priests, right? They were Sadducees. They did not believe in spiritual angels or the resurrection. So I'm just going to talk freely with us. This is a regular part today of what's called 
I'll say churchianity in this country, there are many who do not believe in the supernatural or present mighty working power of God, the miraculous, the supernatural. It's the same environment. But you notice the opposition for the power of God came from the, the, the part of Judaism that didn't believe in that. So if we, if we will, and, and they were the modernists, the rationalists of their day, many have explained away the miracles in fact, many have explained away the Word of God. There was a group, and I don't remember their name, but they set about with themselves in their scholarly approach to go through all the Bible and actually decide what they could determine that Jesus, Jesus really said. And they looked at the scriptures, the, the Gospels, they took all the things that recorded the Jesus', Jesus words, and they would critically compare the Gospels, and if they didn't line up the way they thought, then they said, we can't know for sure if Jesus really said this. And they basically took the Bible and began to cross off passage after passage after passage with their, with their critical approach to the Bible, and they came down to it. The only thing they could say for sure that Jesus had actually said was that it was more blessed to give than to receive completely reducing all the things that Jesus had said. And we come to the study of the book of Acts. And for me, the book of Acts is familiar. And I don't want it to be so familiar that it breeds contempt in my life. Again, because you've heard that phrasing, familiarity breeds contempt. But to come again with a fresh look of of this working of the Holy Spirit through the church and to see that there there was this great work of God happening and... The other part for us is not to throw that away. That Can that happen today? Now, verse 5, it says, that It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas the high priest and uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. And they had set them in their midst and asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and uh, let's pause right there. Find your way back to Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13. Now, we're studying through the book of Deuteronomy on Sunday mornings in Fargo. And I've thoroughly enjoyed going through the Old Testament, studying the book of the law, there's a particular church in, in Moorhead, Minnesota, who they, they, they're not alone in their doctrines and practices of what they would teach the church, but they have completely decided to be a New Testament-only church. I don't know if you've ever encountered that. And um, they're one of those. And, and so in that, I would say this to you is, you maybe don't even catch this when we're going through Acts chapter 4, that the apostles have just been set up to be officially judged and tried over how they answer that question. This is an official gathering together of the Sanhedrin, a, a, a number of 71 of those who are appointed to rule Israel. Remember what Jesus said? He said, those that are in Moses' seat... They're appointed there, and he he describes that that the people are to do what they say but not do what they do because they were hypocrites. 
they're actually posing a question. The same group that, that, that Caiaphas, we know about Caiaphas's house, you know, Annas Caiaphas, there were actually two high priests because of their entanglement with Rome. There was one that was elected and placed there by Rome related to the high priest that the people recognized. And it's this group who's convening the, the Sanhedrin. A quorum, as I studied this, only 23 were needed. Only 23 were needed to actually vote with what they want to vote. Now, Deuteronomy 13 uh, describes, um, well, let's, let's take it right from verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams when he gives you a sign or a wonder. See, what happened in chapter 3 is a sign or, or a wonder, and they're going to apply this, and they're, they're going to judge them. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Yeah. Do you see how, how Satan can twist the scriptures? Now, one of the more important things as we come to this, looking at the history and I'm putting it before us because if we are waiting for conditions to be just right to go out into the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ or are waiting for the right conditions, the right timing, my, my take on this as you pray and as the Holy Spirit is leading in our lives, we've got to be ready to go. Now, the whole thing is set up uh, 13.5. This is what happens to the, the prophet who does the sign or wonder, Deuteronomy. The prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage. And look at that phrase, to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. Now, Think of this with me. When you remove the Old Testament from your practice, you lose the depth and the richness of the understanding which was put in. Do you realize Jesus did not say anything new when he came to reveal the Father? And everything that he said was, was written and understood, uh, revealed in the Scripture, and he came expounding upon with the knowledge. And so it's, it's new when put into that revelation, but it's all been put into the scripture. And so when Peter and John have done this miracle and this, this work has been done and the Sanhedrin has gathered together, Peter's answer. And you'll notice it's the Holy Spirit at work. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw him in Acts chapter 2, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching Christ. 3,000 souls added that day. Now, many times you think the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for what? Well, we, we think of different things about that, but it's the power to be a witness. This witness before Israel is no less powerful than his witness before those under salvation. We're going to see Stephen's witness when we study Acts chapter 7, when he bears witness to the, to the power and working of the Holy Spirit supernaturally in the history of Israel, describing unto them in chapter 7 that they always refused God the first time around. Now, I don't know how many times you needed to hear the gospel before you were saved. I know that I heard the gospel over and over before I paid any attention to it. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to what had happened that day, 
I, I, I don't know if Peter knows that he is being tried right away, like that they've gathered together, and that question is an official question to determine guilt for them to be put to death. Now, maybe didn't recognize that, but now you know. And in the answer, filled with the Holy Spirit, he addresses Israel, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. As I, I pause there, and, and let's be straight up honest. There's nothing more exciting in all the things in life than to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, and used by the Spirit. Uh, I didn't know what that was like until we began to go out with the intent of sharing the gospel. And, and we would go to, uh, we, we picked the worst park neighborhood that we knew of 25 years ago in, in Moorhead, and it was Romkey Park. I think, didn't Chris live? Did his mom get his apartment right there by when he went to school? Did you know you put him in the drug neighborhood when you... See, there you go. So he, he was right on the edge of one of the worst neighborhoods in, in Minnesota. So when we, when we started, like, hey, we're going to reach people for Jesus, that's the park we went to. Now, we didn't find Chris there, and, but there were always people outside. And we began to, to share, and we started doing things, and we... As we went, every Friday, uh, Nick went with us. So it usually was, was our kids, me and Tanya, and Nick was along with us. And some of you may, I don't know if any of you even know who Nick is. Um, and we would go out, and he would grab his soccer ball, and we would take the soccer ball out and just begin to play soccer with the kids that were in the park. And then, we, then we'd bring the grill down, and we started grilling food. And, and we started then sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the kids. And the kids would come and take food. And they'd take food back to their parents. You know? And so we, we, had, we had some, in the summer, we had some families that were from Texas who were up working the fields. This was quite a few years ago. And, and then we would have, uh, we had a, a couple of uh, crack addicts, right, start to come out from time to time. And then we did this, this event, what we called God's Not Broke. We did a couple of those where we, we did a reverse garage sale. And uh, in all that, what, what's a reverse garage sale? Some people showed up, brought stuff, thinking that they could give us their stuff. That's not the point of a garage sale, not that reverse. What it was is everything in that we were giving away, the clothing, items, things like that, we had gathered a bunch of stuff together, and we were giving those items away. And when people would leave with the items, we would pay them a dollar and and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And with the whole intent by coming to that, to Sunday morning, and I remember doing those outreaches and doing those things, and there was an excitement because we were talking with people and we were sharing the gospel, and, and the kids were responding. We, we had, I think it was 20, 20 of the kids from that neighborhood, we'd go and make three trips with our van, and they were coming to the, to the, to the Sunday service, that we had in a house. We were filling up this the families who's hosting their basement with these kids that we got off the street that were coming to to hear all about Jesus. 
and little interesting there, you know. And so you had to watch things a little close. But and I remember in the midst of all that, going back out to the store to to a convenience store, and and didn't realize it, but I was so excited over what the Spirit of God was doing with us that that it was like going back out to, to the holiday just on the road or stop and go. I don't remember which one it was. But it dawned on me what this is. It was this idea that the Holy Spirit was using our lives. We see Peter and John. And I just want to stir the church up to this reality that this isn't about being old and crusty and having our structures and things. We're studying in the book of Acts how it is that the Spirit of God did all this. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles filled with the Spirit. And this is nothing can even come close to providing the satisfaction in the way fulfilling his purpose in our lives does. Now, what type of people does God use? Normal people. That's the part where this came down to. And we were so excited in those days that we could do anything. We didn't didn't know what we were doing or what to do or what not to do. And it turns out later on, you know what we found out? Neither do those who have been doing it for a while always know what to do but we would share the love of Jesus Christ. So Peter, in giving, if you will, the Holy Spirit defense, don't you love what our Lord said to us? You get into a situation like that, you know what the Lord said? He told us not to prepare or rehearse the answer in advance. He says the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Now, they're the equivalent right there. They're before this Sanhedrin has power of life and death over them. And that's the place where the Holy Spirit gives answer. Peter begins by pointing out how ridiculous it is that they're on trial for making, for doing a good deed. And that's where he starts with that. And he, he takes it right into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Remember what they said? Let, what did they say? When Pontius Pilate wanted to let Jesus go, they said, let his blood be upon us. And upon our children. And you'll notice Peter goes right there. Whom you crucified. But he doesn't leave it there. And that he goes really to the place of this truth that God raised him from the dead. Now where he goes next in 11 and 12. He says this stone. Which was rejected by you builders. Has become the chief cornerstone. So the Holy Spirit is giving a prophetic. Psalm 118. The stone that was rejected. Now there's a story that that when they were building Solomon's temple, that they had actually sent the capstone way ahead and they, it got put aside. And when they called for the quarry, like, where's that? Where's the final stone to be put in place? They said, we sent it almost at the beginning of the project. We, we knew where this was ending because there was no tool, no sound of building on the temple in Solomon's day. And and the story goes in, in that they had misplaced they had lost the capstone and here are the references of the cornerstone and jesus is both the cornerstone and the capstone the beginning and the end now we come to this place of quoting psalm 118 it's it's the same psalm that we that we recognize on palm sunday right hosanna right blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord same psalm and you'll notice he's personalizing that they had rejected it Now, we don't even have to come up with, if you will, we don't even have to come up with our things that we have to make claims about Jesus Christ. Let the scripture make the claim. 
And that's what he did. He says, nor is there salvation in any other. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no other name. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And, and in preaching the gospel and imploring with them, you'll notice that, that he, he really comes right along in the lines with everything Jesus has ever said. And what Jesus was crucified because he said he's the son of God. Peter's pointing out how the foolish builders had set aside the, the chief cornerstone and he's, and he's preaching Christ through their scriptures. What is it today? Well, let's face it. People hate the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. One like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. Right? Whether it be Buddha, Muhammad, they they can't save you. They can't forgive your sins. Yet those who practice in those religions are very much against those exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. We, we could do a Bible study on Acts 4.12. Now, verse 13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Uneducated and untrained men. Well, here begins the misconception that the Sanhedrin has of the apostles. Just, just for them to think that they were uneducated and untrained, because they looked at them of what they were after their, their trade being fishermen, but they missed this most important truth that they had been in, if you will, three years of graduate study under the greatest teacher who ever lived. See, different perspective, isn't it? They had privilege of sitting under the one who wrote the book. Can you imagine that type of understanding of the passages that, that were put there by the Spirit of God in, in the very text that Jesus expounded unto them, and they had this understanding. And as he expounded the word unto them, opened the scriptures up to them, they were not ignorant and unlearned. Their understanding of the scriptures was probably far above anybody in that religious council that day, the scribes and all. Scribes were the copiers. The scribes knew every, every little marking in the law, yet they did not understand what the law was about. Now, we can face this too, and, and again, I'm quoting Pastor Chuck. He says this, a lot of times the world has that perception of Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a PhD behind your name, or if you haven't spent several years in a theological seminary, then you can't be a pastor. Now, I'd get that from time to time, especially when we started out. Where did you go to school? That would be my question. I, I didn't quite have a great lineup like my pastor. My pastor would describe that he went to some junior high and then dropped. He went to one year of high school, and he names the high school. And then he says, and I have 295 credits at a community college under the, what was that, the, probably the military, what? Yeah, the GI Bill. And that's what he would answer people. And and the question is, and, and this is, it's that qualification of man. Now, in the beginning, what was it? There were no seminaries. There were no schools. There were now the Jews had those. What what was Jesus even even accused of? Well, that Jesus didn't learn letters because he wasn't involved in one of the schools. Even today, many, especially 
the families from America who have money, they send their, their Jewish children their, from a young age, 13, 14, 15, to go and study in a yeshiva in Jerusalem. And the more money that you have, the closer your, your yeshiva is unto the wall. And so when you go there, you'll find all kinds of young Jewish kids from America that are there studying just so they can learn those things. So this misconception uh, of what takes place, um, I'll lay this forth this way. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14. What, what's the, what the Bible reveals is that it's the Spirit who put this into the Word of God, and it's the Spirit who teaches and give, gives that understanding. And that that idea of one who would be born again, filled with the Spirit, uh, a pastor who, even if he had never attended Bible college or seminary, would be able to teach the Word of God and, and, and know what the Word of God says compared to all the education of man. Some professor from Harvard who's not born again would not have a clue of what the Word of God is saying. They accuse, again, this is Pastor Chuck quoting, they accuse Calvary Chapel of anti-intellectualism. Not so. We just recognize that it is only a man who is depending on the Spirit and is open to the Spirit that can truly understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I discovered this a, a while back that, uh, and especially it's come into the culture, I think, with with the sharing of knowledge and information on the Internet and and fulfilling really Daniel's prophecy that knowledge will increase in the latter days, certainly about, about prophecy, but of all these things that are now in the world, the, the knowledge is doubling, I believe, now under a year. The amount of knowledge that man has doubles. And so it's like a learning curve. Uh, it's like the... It's like, uh, Oh, I don't know what the type of curve. It's a very common curve where where it's low, and all of a sudden it just begins to spike and, and goes up. And that's knowledge. Now, what are, what has been the statement? Thirty thousand hours puts you at expert level or expert status if you've given yourself to study, work at, improve, and thirty thousand hours doing so. So that makes Ransel an expert in farming. Did you know that? You don't think you put 30,000 hours in? Yeah, okay. Right? Mark, does that make you an expert banker? 30,000 hours? You're probably at 30,000 hours. You're an expert mom. You got 30,000 hours in? There you go. Now, now, you're, now you get to work on the grandma part. See? So, but do you realize, and, and I only say this, that's the world's way of describing an expert. But you know what I discovered is, and I, and I watched this happen over and over again, not just with, with pastors, but anyone in the body of Christ filled with the Spirit and gives themselves to be taught by the Spirit in the Scriptures and with great appetite, I would be listening to teachings, reading the Bible, studying with desire Many times that could be four to four to eight hours a day, depending on what I was doing. And I didn't know that 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 was not a normal activity 
that, that Christians did. I, I got saved. I found the teaching of the Word of God, and it was Spirit-filled teaching. And the Spirit was teaching the Bible to me. And, and again, that word anti-intellectual, no, it's with intellect because there's very much a desire. What do these words mean? What's the grammar? What's the content? What's the context? What's the Spirit doing? And then this thing began to happen, comparing this part of the Bible with the other part of the Bible and the Spirit comparing the two. And that's exactly what First Corinthians is, is about, comparing spiritual with spiritual. Now, their first misconception was that they were untrained and uneducated. Really, they just were not a part of the system. Now, my encouragement to us is what type of people does God use? Well, Paul tells the church, and he says, not many mighty after the flesh, not many noble, not many wise. God uses people in that way to confound the wise, to, to when people look at this and they say, well, what type, what, how does this person know this, this truth? But you'll notice in verse 13, as we get rolling here, they realize they had been with Jesus. Now, Pastor Chuck calls this their second misconception. And maybe you've heard it. They're phrasing it in the past tense. They had been with Jesus, but they really had not been with Jesus. Jesus, they were actually with him. Present tense. And this is the key. What did Jesus say? I will not leave you as orphans. Or you read it out of the King James. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And that's the promise. He was very much in the present. In fact, he's promised where two or three are gathered, I'm there in the midst. So the Sanhedrin is, is looking for, for what to do. And, and we can even read when Paul was on trial how he describes that he was all alone. And yet he says, yet I wasn't alone because it was the Lord who strengthened me. That's the type of power that we see going on in the beginning in the book of Acts. That present day working. Now, again, I'll give you a, a nod to this. Beware of a past tense relationship with the Lord. Beware of a past tense relationship when you were closer to time past and you were more excited about your relationship with Jesus than you are presently. Then you're in a backslidden condition. And that is what really the church of Ephesus in Revelation when Jesus wrote them that letter. And they were called to come back to that freshness and excitement and the thrill. When's the last time church has been thrilling? Okay. You see that as we gather in the Spirit and then serve, uh, we were certainly excited 25 years ago when we would be out at Romkey Park. And I remember praying, you know, the, the first time I prayed with somebody to receive Jesus. You know how excited I was? I was more excited than they were that they had believed and received. And, but we should never lose that excitement. And I never wanted to be one of those Christians who, after years of studying the Bible, when, when someone came to something in the Bible that the Holy Spirit taught them, and they were so excited about what they found in the Bible, that I would look, turn to them and look at, I, I knew that 20 years ago. I never wanted to do that to them. So you know what I do when, whenever anybody finds something in the Bible that they're all excited about? I'm like, that is awesome. Tell me more. Tell me more. What, what's, what's the Lord showing you? And that, by far, is that excitement over and over, not just in the relationship with the Lord, but to see him doing that. So this man is healed and standing with them. And in verse 14 says, they had nothing they could speak against this work that, that they had done. 15 says, when they had commanded them to go out, aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, what should we do with these men? 
Indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it spreads, look at 17, it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them, commanded them to speak at all, not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge. 20 is a great verse. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says to him, there were 500 people that saw Jesus alive at once. When he's talking to the Corinthians about the resurrection from the dead, he said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, we should be pit- we're pitied above all people because everything is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he describes 500. Now, you can study it in history. The Roman Empire, after a while, because of how Christianity was spreading and overtaking and changing so many things in the, in the early Roman Empire, the gospel was spreading. They sought to do away with those 500. They began by trying to get them to say that they'd never seen Jesus. And the same thing, like 20. They could only say the things that they had seen and heard. If you have seen Jesus alive from the dead and you saw with your own eyes, if you made it up, you're going to cave, right? But if it's true and you saw him, and that's the 500. Those 500, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, Paul says, and And many of those are still alive at the time of the writing of that letter. Here, Peter and John say, we are going to obey God. Now, when we consider this, I think of even, let's let's even go back 20 years. We maybe didn't think much about this truth, but I think we can see it right now, that just how much opposition we can now face when we, when we would go out to witness of Jesus Christ. And what is the area that you would probably experience the greatest opposition? Well, can you imagine if there were laws written that would say you can't share the gospel or you cannot convert someone from their beliefs? And we see it trying to convert a Muslim to Christianity or, or a, a homosexual to, to, to Christianity. And you can see even in all the rumblings that, that the beginning of, of a hate crime, that, that terminology, all the states are like, do we, they're, they're wanting to put these laws on the books. So will you stop preaching Jesus Christ? So they were threatened and they let him go, finding no way to punish them because of the people since they glorified God what was, what was done. Now, I like this because... I, and here's why I really like that. It's different. It's different than what you see now, that that even when something starts happening somewhere or or something gets famous or big, rarely does God ever get the glory. It almost always the glory goes on to the one who is doing whatever is being done. So this man was over 40 years old upon this miracle that happened, verse 22. This healing had been performed And being let go, they went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and elders said. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, verse 24, and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly, 
against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They quote Psalm 2. But they acknowledge in all that which happened unto Jesus Christ was according to the purpose and plan of God and the working and power being fulfilled in the word. And they acknowledge that it didn't come to God by surprise. And and that's the acknowledgement. The threatenings that they're experiencing is the sufferings of Christ. They are being persecuted because of the power and witness of the Holy Spirit concerning the gospel. What comes out of this? 29 says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, 429 and, and 430, 431, this, uh, truth be told, this is one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts. You can, you can talk about Pentecost, which we've done the Acts 2 study, and you know, I think it's wrong for the church to be trying to recreate the environment that would try to get the Holy Spirit to come in the same way as he did in the beginning. You know, tarrying meetings or, or trying to get everybody in one accord. I, I think that's, that was the description of what was happening when the Holy Spirit was poured out. What we see from the time the Holy Spirit was poured out, the Holy Spirit is poured out. From that point forward, the Spirit-filled church has been a witness of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel, doing the commission, the, the great commission, living it out. And everywhere Satan attacks that from every angle just to get that preaching of Christ to stop. doesn't matter if it's done in the name of a spirit, that that, that, that work that God is doing and, and they drift aside to follow something else, or if it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's turned into to take the gospel, which is death and resurrection, and convert it to a social gospel. Do you realize that there's more church spending time, money, and effort on the social ills of the world? And if you thought it was the old dead denominations that were no longer preaching Christ and, and they were putting their money into social efforts, you'd be wrong that it was only them because now the next generations that are coming up are, are now looking at this and they're big champions of social justice. Now when I describe this, you'll notice that they're praying unto the Creator and his mighty work which began with creation and acknowledgement of the one that created was crucified, risen again, and, and in that same idea that Christ was crucified, they're receiving that same power to, to suffer with Christ, and, and they cry out to God in prayer. And their prayer is not, make it stop. Their prayer is, Lord, make us bold. Make us more bold. Give us even more power that we can speak the word of God with boldness, not greater, you know, not greater social justice, not greater change in the world, not more gifts of the spirit. No, the power of the preaching of Christ at the word together with what the real working power of God, signs and wonders that confirm the word. Now, I'll challenge you in your own understanding of God concerning signs and wonders. Take it through the book of Acts and you find where the signs and wonders are separated from the word of God. You, you, you see if you can find out where the signs and wonders that are done, if they're separate from the, the word and the preaching of the gospel. I've, done the, I've, I've searched out, you know, my conclusion, the signs and wonders, they, they never lead. 
They would follow after and they would confirm and verify the, the supernatural power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can follow the, 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 the teachings and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. All the things that were done resulted in salvations, the gospel being preached. And when they had prayed, uh, 431, I love this. Where The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, this is, this is what happened. So those that were there in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost are also there together with the number now is about, what, 5,000 men? So I don't know what place they were meeting in. The, the scholars look at this and they believe that their meetings would have been in the temple, some of the upper rooms of the temple. And they, the place where they're assembled together and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit again and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, that for me would be one of the workings that we would long for and desire in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives would be the boldness. It's pretty easy to sit at home and criticize, right? Pretty easy to be an armchair quarterback on Sunday morning, Monday morning saying, well, why didn't he play better yesterday? But when you roll up your sleeves and say, Lord, here I am. Now, this is where this stirs up. And for us, it began 25 years ago when we began to do all this. And we found out about Calvary Chapel. We found out that that Calvary Chapel was, uh, there was going to be a Calvary Chapel in North Dakota, Minnesota, right there, Moorhead, Fargo. And and he said, why do, why do we care about that? Well, here's what happened. When we turned to follow the Lord, I talked with my brother. He was going to a Calvary Chapel out on the East Coast. And he started sending me the word of God, tapes from his pastor. I still have tapes from my pastor and from his pastor that that go all the way back 25 years ago, cassette tapes. And I would listen to those, and what, what was happening, the word of God was being spoke, and it stirred us up to live our lives. And what I really found with Calvary Chapel St. Paul was a, a group of, of people, normal people, honest people, who wanted to be those that did the word of God. So as I began to spend time with them and then saw how they were they were they were doing events to reach out to people to preach the gospel. I didn't know what outreach was. I, I didn't know what to do. The result for the church, as filled with the Spirit, speaking the word of God with boldness, from 32 to the end, describes what was happening in the church at that point. It says, All the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. That's radical, a radical thing. They had everything in common. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. Now, it's really a great Bible study if you carry it through. There was great fear of the Lord that came upon them. There was great grace that came upon them. There was great power. Many today will 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 try to assimilate something and put it into their practices of what they say is going to work and bring success. Church planting, by those that go out and do it, is very organized. And the failure rate is high. A guy talked with me years ago from the, from the Nazarene. I met him at something, and, and he's, he's describing to me, he says, we, just, we can't get things started. Once we got something started, we have this whole system and thing in place 
And he, and he listened and, and he was talking to me and almost everything he was describing was stuff that, that made my skin crawl of the methods they were using to grow the church. Well, we find out there's only one way to describe this. This group loved each other so much that they never considered what they had was their own. And what, what came out of that, the apostles, the signs and the wonders, the power of the word of God and grace and, and power was upon them. And the Lord met the needs. 34 says there was no one among them who lacked. And this practice started that those who had lands and possessed them or houses, they sold them and and brought the proceeds. They were sold. They put them at the the apostles' feet. And then they would distribute to the needs. And here's where we get introduced to Barnabas in 36. And Barnabas will carry through the the study of the book of Acts. It says Barnabas, he's uh, known as the son of... uh, uh, encouragement, that's what Barnabas means, a Levite from the country of Cyprus, having land sold in and brought at the apostles' feet. Now, before you shake up your understanding of, of church, Mama, is Mommy hear him? Oh, I thought that was Chris crying. Mama. Help. Help. That's great. Well, it's recorded. He can listen to it. Or I have to take it out. So here's what I leave you with. Before you shake up everything and say, well, we too as church need to, we need to pull all of our funds together. We need to bring everything in common. And that's the way church is to be lived. You carry this through and we will into next week. It's in this very area where those that were giving all that the very first hypocrisy comes in with Ananias and Sapphira and, and corrupt that whole thing. And God judges them, but the work of God doesn't stop. The instructions as the Apostle Paul took out the gospel and he writes it to the Thessalonians. He says, seek to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands that you may meet the, your own needs and the needs of others. There was never going to be that this was setting up in the world a Christian commune, that that was the model for church. In fact, when we get to Acts 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 6, you have a problem with the distribution. Slighted. So don't think church problems are new. What church and they, that you're showing favoritism to this? Great. It, it's always been that way. But out of this, what do we do take with us? I remind you of Acts 2.42. They gave themselves in the beginning to the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, prayers, and fellowship. All the other things that were going on were additional, and they're not directed that says they had to been, but faithful to the record is the book of Acts to record the history. And maybe it's good for all of us at one point in our lives in our relationship with the Lord to experience the love of God that is that thick, if you will where there's a genuine laying down of life for one another. When a need does arise in the church and the church gathers around that person and meets the need. I love the testimonies of those that, that in many times the very need that was in the room could be more than satisfied just by everybody in church pulling out a few of the, the dollar bills that they had in their pocket 
and to minister. That type of love that, that was that thick. And it really comes down to this. And, and, I'll, and I'll leave you with this. Fellowship is, is a very important thing. Koinonia. This describes the, the closeness of the community, right? The, you know, communion, uh, the sharing. That, that's the koinonia. That, that will, yeah, we call that time of fellowship where we talk with one another, 10 minutes between the, you know, the worship and the study. But what we're really talking about is the body of Christ truly sharing, caring, meeting needs, and doing all those things with one another. Now, it takes effort, doesn't it? It takes effort to actually interact that way. So that's it. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the study of the book of Acts. We thank you for... Hmm. Is this a... Is it a silver alert? Well, I know it's not me because I'm, I'm not silver. Okay, let's, let's pray. Lord, thanks for the study tonight. Lord, be with that person in the silver alert uh, that they can be found uh, safe and well. Lord, make us more and more like Jesus in the power and working of the Spirit to go forth into daily life, to, to love, to serve. Lord, stir us up by the power of the Spirit to go out and live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if Tanya and I and Nick can go out to Romke Park and we can start just by interacting with the kids. I, I still remember the families leading people to the Lord. If we could do that, right, 25 years ago, if we could do that, you know what? All of us have that opportunity with people that are in our lives where we can go out and we can share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do not need, right, and so many people in the years would say, Pastor, you, I, I need you to do this, and, and what would you say? And you know what I say to them? You have the Spirit. You're the one to say something. You're the one to go. So may that be a blessing for you just to, just to take a fresh look at where you go, what you do, who's in front of you. Lord, is there anything I can do? And, and revive that work of, you know what? This is about Jesus. It's about his death and resurrection. And, and we don't need more structure to get things done, do we? I don't believe we do. We need more Holy Spirit to do those things that God wants to do. So, second sermon is over. That was a short one. Do you, you want a third sermon? Right? Happy birthday, Abby. Should we sing?